You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. If you're, if you're new here this morning, we, uh, we teach through the Bible on Wednesday evenings, our midweek service. We go through the Old Testament. Uh, we're currently about uh, to start a study in the book of Deuteronomy. It's going to be a few weeks before we get there. Um, we're doing a, a small little uh, series on worship right now, but we go through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. We're in Deuteronomy. On Sunday mornings, we go through the New Testament, and, and we're in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and Ephesians can easily be broken into three little sections. And we've looked at the first section, which was about our wealth as believers. And we, we like that word wealth. It, it resonates with us, especially as Americans. We have the opportunity to have wealth. But that's not the kind of wealth that Paul's talking about. He's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about spiritual wealth. And he sums it up in verse 3 of chapter 1, sums up that section where he talks about the wealth that we have as believers. He says, in Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's important to understand that it is in Christ. It's not in some buddy's program or, or something that somebody wrote in a book. It's in Christ. We have immeasurable riches, amazing wealth at our disposal, spiritual wealth. Spiritual blessings. Everything we need for a life of godliness, in fact, the Bible tells us. And so anything that we fall short of in our walk with the Lord, it's our fault. Because everything is there for us. Everything is at our disposal. Everything has been given to us to succeed in our relationship with Jesus. There's nothing that we need search for or seek after or try to buy. It's there. We just need to tap into it. And that was what chapters 1 through 3 were all about. They were, they were all about the riches that we have in Christ. That is what Jesus has done for us. And isn't that refreshing that we start with God being the initiator? God being the one who said, look, you're in a helpless, hopeless, desperate situation. In fact, you're headed for eternal punishment. But I'm going to take on human flesh. And Jesus humbled himself, he girded himself in humanity, and he walked along this earth for 33 years, and then he gave his life and he spilled his blood in our place so that we could have forgiveness of sins and we could have eternal life. And it's nice when we start with that. We start with God being the initiator, God being the one who sought us out and ran us down. And chased after us, leaving the ninety and nine and going after the one. You see, that's the heart of our God. He loves us so much. He so longed to have relationship with us that that's what he did. And you see, he's the initiator. And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now we respond. See, he initiated, we respond. And in chapters 4 and 5 and part of chapter 6, Paul is going to talk about our response. It's our walk. He talked about our wealth. Now we're in that section where he talks about our walk, our response to all those things. And see, it's so important, you guys. I can't emphasize enough that it's a response, that we serve him because he first served us, that we love him because he first loved us. See, it makes it a lot easier when you realize that you're simply responding to what Jesus already did for you. And you're responding with, with these things that Paul talks about in chapters 4, 5, and part of 6. And then at the end of the book, the last part of chapter 6, Paul talks about our warfare. It's important that we understand that we're in a war. That we're in a battle. A spiritual battle. And so there's our, our wealth. There's our walk. And there's our warfare. And so this morning, I want to continue in our section that is about our walk, that is about our walk as believers. And it's important that we realize that we filter 
this section through the purpose of the entire book, and that is that we are in Christ. That the reason that we respond to these things is that we're in Christ. And so let's take a look at our section this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And I want us to notice three things. If you will, notice three things with me. What we were, who we are, and how we respond. What we were, who we are, and how we respond. The first thing is what we were. And now, oftentimes, that is the focus of entire ministries. What we were, and everything is about what you were before, and, and it's about sinners, and, and how we're different than them, and we're better than them, and we're superior to them. But we just want to take a small amount of time to talk about what we were. What we were before coming to Christ. He says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. And so he talks about what we were, that we were alienated, that there was alienation. This is who you were before Christ. And Paul says, look, you should no longer walk this way. And, and that word walk, again, it speaks of our lifestyle. It speaks of the way that we live our life. That's your walk. It's not talking about a Chinese restaurant. It's not talking about, you know, walking down the road. It's talking about how you live your life. That's your walk, the characteristics of your life, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the world. The rest of the Gentiles speaks of unbelievers who in the futility of their mind, that, that phrase speaks of, of emptiness, the emptiness of their mind. They think that their mind is filled with all sorts of, of interesting information and neat little facts. They think their mind is, is filled with all of the skills that they have to do their job. But in reality, without Jesus, our, our mind is empty. Our mind is, is futile. The thoughts that we have, the things that we know, are meaningless. They're, they're insignificant in light of eternity in the futile of their mind, having their understanding darkened. We need to understand that, that before Christ, in those that don't know Jesus, they're living in the dark. They're not living in a state where things are kind of fuzzy and they're trying to figure things out. They're not trying to find themselves. No, they're living in the dark. And that's why... As believers, as people that know Jesus, we can be offensive to them because we are light. The Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world and that his light shines through us. And, and so just like when somebody turns on the lights in your bedroom at like three in the morning, it's kind of offensive and it's alarming and, and you're, you're not ready for it. The same is true when, when you come into contact with an unbeliever, and you share about Jesus, and you tell that person what he's done for you, it's offensive, it's alarming, it, it's obtrusive to where they're at, and, and, and their eyes cannot adjust because they're in the dark. They're alienated from the life of God. We have to understand that, that people that don't know Jesus are aliens. They're absolutely separate from God. They're alienated from God. They're separate from God. In fact, the Bible tells us they're enemies of God. Not because he doesn't like them. Not because he doesn't want to have a relationship with them. But because of the fact that they have rejected his son. They're an enemy of God. And so we need to understand that, that not everybody is a child of God. They're, that phrase gets thrown out there. And you've probably heard it. That we're all children of God. We just need to kind of figure it out. That isn't true. We're not all children of God. Only those who have given their heart to Jesus and their life to him and allowed him to, to bring forgiveness of their sins, 
Only they are children of God. Everyone else is a creation of God, for sure, but not a child of God. And again, I emphasize that it's not because he doesn't want for them to be his children, but it's because they've rejected him, because they've made the choice to reject his offer of forgiveness. And so they're aliens. They're ignorant, he says. They're blind in their heart. And see, you can, you can tell a blind person how to get somewhere, but it doesn't do them any good. You have to lead them. And I remember when I was in high school, there was this poor blind girl, and, and kids were so cruel to her. They would, she'd be like, hey, how do you get to you know, the home ec room? And they would be like, well, you go out this door, and then just keep going along, and you know, the next thing you know, she's out like in the football field. Just like wandering around, you know, in circles. And in high school, it was sort of, you know, it wasn't really ever humorous, but it, it was kind of to certain people. Maybe you're sitting there going, man, you guys are cruel. I never, I never did that. I, I never did, ever. In fact, I gave her rides to and from school oftentimes. So, so there, you know. <laughs> she lived kind of close to me and I felt bad because she, there was this really narrow shoulder and she would be walking along this busy road like with her cane, you know, and, and just like almost getting ran over. It was kind of sad. But but that is, you know, where uh, people are at spiritually as well. And we can say, hey, you know, all you got to do is go down this hall and around the corner and there's Jesus. But they're blind. And what seems so easy to us is absolute impossibility to them until, like the Apostle Paul, the blinders are taken off of their eyes. And that's what we need to pray for people. Because we can hand people all kinds of booklets and pamphlets, and we can preach at people, but until God resurrects their ability to understand, until God takes the blinders off of their eyes, it's hopeless. They were past feeling, he says. Oftentimes, people say, man, I'm just sinning and I like it and it's cool and I don't feel bad about it. And the thing is, if you were to have like an 800-pound boulder fall on you, you wouldn't feel it. You would just be dead. You wouldn't be like, oh, man, this hurts a lot. Get it off me. It would be just death, instant death. You wouldn't have felt it. You wouldn't have experienced any pain. Just immediately, you would be dead. And so when people say, man, I don't feel anything. I'm not convicted. I, I don't sense that God is upset with me. That doesn't mean that, that he's cool with it. It doesn't mean that you're in a good place. It just means you're dead. It means you're past feeling. And when people don't experience pain, that's not good. You go th- throughout life without experiencing pain, you might think, wow, it's cool. You know, I can stick myself with needles and I can do all kinds of stuff and it doesn't hurt. Well, that's not really cool because it means that your nervous system is shut down and you're not healthy. And and the same is true for those that don't know the Lord in a spiritual sense. They are dead. They're past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness, which is just like you know, all sorts of extreme sin to work all uncleanness with greediness. They've just given themselves over to the flesh. See, as an unbeliever, as someone who has never experienced the work of God and the Holy Spirit is not residing in your life, if that's true of you, you have no choice but to sin. See, there, there's no ability to make a choice. And that's, again, another thing people say. Well, I kind of like being where I'm at because, you know, if if you're a a Christian and, you you know, you're so limited and you're in bondage. And the fact is, is that as a person that doesn't know Jesus, you're in bondage. You're in bondage to your flesh, to yourself. You have no choice but to sin, but to give into it. This is what we were. This is a description of who we were before Christ. And I think sometimes we read that and we look back on that however long ago that was for you. And, and we can easily begin to think of ourselves more highly than we should. Because we think, yeah, that's what I was, but now I'm no longer that way and I'm better than those people. 
I'm better than those people with their futile minds and their dark understanding who are alienated, who are ignorant, who are blind, who have no feeling, who have given themselves over to the flesh. I'm better than those people. Well, we're not better, you guys. And we, we need to understand that, especially in light of the focus of our church. Because the focus of our church is, is, a, is an outward focus. We're not a church that, that is super inwardly focused, although it's there and we have lots of opportunities to get plugged into. But my hope and my desire is that each one of those things that would be for you, that would be a ministry for you, would in actuality be an outreach. And that's, that's the focus of our church. We don't want people to, to feel like this is a club for only certain people. We want it to be open to anyone. We want people to feel comfortable when they come in. Now, that doesn't mean that, that people can, you know, come in and feel comfortable in their sin. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit is going to make them very uncomfortable in that. But we are going to accept them and love them and not judge them. But oftentimes, I think in the church, we, we are sort of accepting of the sin and rejecting the people. We accept their sin. We allow it to happen in our own life. Same thoughts, the same attitudes, the same actions. But we don't like those people. We're better than they are as we put on our superficial self-righteousness. Meanwhile, doing the very same things that they're doing. But even if, even if we sense a, a moral superiority in our own life, even if those things are are not happening in our own life, which if that's true, praise the Lord, that's the way it should be, that we shouldn't be doing those things. But even if we are separate from the world morally, we shouldn't be separate from the world physically speaking. We need to be out there amongst the people because that's what Jesus did. You see, as Christians, we're followers of Jesus. And that means that we model our life after Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was constantly amongst people who today wouldn't be accepted at all. Lepers, prostitutes, thieves, people that, that we might reject. And yet Jesus was so accepting of those people. And Jesus was perfect. That's the thing that blows my mind. Here was Jesus. He was perfect. He didn't have any sin. He was 100% Completely holy. He was God. He is God. And yet sinners and the most vile people were attracted to him. But why is it today those kind of people are not attracted to the church at all? They're more attracted to the local tavern or social gathering place where they're accepted. And the reason is, is because they're not receiving that acceptance at the church. They're receiving rejection. They're being told, hey, go clean up your act, go change your life, then come back when you get things together. Then, then we'll accept you. And may that never be true of our church here, of Calvary Chapel. And when I see that, when I sense that, I do my best to put a stop to that. Because we want people to come and experience Jesus here. No matter where they're from, what they're going through, what kind of experience that they've had. The choices that they've made. We don't want people to go and to find community more effectively at a pub than they find it here. And that's what people need. They need to be and feel connected. And is, are we doing that? Is, is, are we making an effort to do that? Or are we sort of judging people and, and looking uh, down at people because of where they're at? It's a ridiculous thing to do. It would not be unlike someone who just got rescued from the ocean. They're out drowning in the ocean and here comes the Coast Guard and they throw out the preserver and, and they rescue them and they bring them back to the station and they give them some coffee and, and the blanket and there the person is and they begin to boast about how well they grabbed onto the life preserver. Oh, I mean, you, you wouldn't believe how tightly I clung to that. I mean, I just grabbed on and with such grace and such athleticism and I held on, and when that rescue guy came to me, I just, I mean, I just was, it was amazing the way that I grabbed him, and, and I was able to hold on. And I mean, 
you, the person would be like, what? What are you talking about? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And that's what we do as believers when we talk about how great we are and, and how morally superior we are. Look, we're just sinners who have been snatched out of the cesspool of humanity. That's all we are. And so as we're kind of cleaning ourselves off, as we're huddled around a table with a blanket sipping coffee, we don't boast. We don't brag. We tell people about Jesus. We tell people about the amazing rescuers, see, not about how great we are. And if we're giving people the indication that we're great, we need to repent of that. If we're giving people the idea that we're better than they are, that we're superior to them, we need to repent of that. Because Jesus did not come to make us morally superior. Jesus came to have a relationship with us. That's what he wants. That's what he longs for. And you guys, when we have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is flowing through us, and his life is pouring out of us, guess what? People will be attracted to you the same way they were attracted to him. There, there will be authenticity. And I think right now, a lot of what is called church is not authentic to people. In fact, it's called hypocrisy, right? How many times have people said the church is full of hypocrites? And you know what? Rather than arguing with people about that, we need to apologize to people. Rather than saying, oh, you're wrong. You're the hypocrite. You need to get saved and come down. And, and they're like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to join a bunch of people who don't live out what they say they believe. Look, we are oftentimes hypocrites. And we need to repent of that. We need to confess that. We need to tell people, look, I'm sorry for the way that we've represented Jesus, whether it be presently or whether it be in our church's history all the way back 2,000 years. I'm sorry for that. And I want to represent Jesus to you. How can I do that more effectively? We don't want to throw up a sign or a billboard out in front of the church with messages from a foreign alien planet that people drive by and go, what in the world does that even mean? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my life. And I remember as a non-believer, as a, as a person that didn't know Jesus, just thinking that the whole Christian subculture was like something out of the twilight zone. It just it was like, what? What is this? Christian t-shirts and bumper stickers and, you know... Little Christian coffee cups and, and, and all the rest. And it was just like bizarre. And I remember my stepbrother and stepsister coming to our house when I was a kid. They lived in Idaho. We lived in, in Olympia, in the Seattle area. And they would come to visit for the summer or whatever. And, and they would tell us about all the things they didn't do. You know, we don't celebrate Halloween. It's the, it's the uh, holiday of the devil. And I just thought, the devil? I don't even believe in the devil. What are you talking about? It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And, and that's how we come across to people. It, it, it just, we, we've got to understand that these, these people are blind. And they don't see the way we see. And we have to remove ourselves from this Christian subculture and realize that that's not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus has called us to immerse ourselves in the culture in which we live and to make a difference in that culture, not create our own little culture and our own little bubble and create our own little way of doing things and our own little sayings that no one understands. That's not what he's called us to. And so rather than thinking of ourselves as superior, we need to think of ourselves as saved and blessed because that was who we used to be. And so that's what we were. Verses 20 through 24 speak of who we are. He says, but you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So he tells us who we are now. He says, look, you need to no longer walk as the world walks. You need to no longer live as people 
that don't know Jesus live. Doesn't mean that you don't live amongst them. It doesn't mean that you don't love them and that you don't interact with them. It means that you don't live like they do. And so you invite them over to your house and you're hospitable to them and you feed them and you love on them and you bless them and you show them that you do love them, but you're different than they are. Not because you wear a T-shirt or because you play K-Love on the radio while they're there. None of that. Because none of that means anything to them. It means you love them in spite of them. And when they say stupid stuff, you don't always correct them. And when they tell you that they're living with their boyfriend and they're not married, or when they tell you that they're doing drugs, or when they tell you what they're doing, you don't judge them for that. In fact, you may not even correct them for that, because what are you really correcting? It's like trying to clean up a pig. It's, it's a meaningless endeavor. They're just going to go right back to the, to the slop from whence they came. They have to be changed and transformed, just like we did. And so we don't need to address the specific sin and tell them about all that. We just need to talk about Jesus. That's attractive to them. And I will say this, kind of getting back to that a little bit before we launch into this next part. But I will say this. Much of what is called hospitality in the church is fellowship. Hospitality is inviting unbelievers to your house and serving them and blessing them. I believe that. Inviting people that agree with everything you say and live the same way you live and do everything the way you do it, that's called fellowship. And that's good and it's needful and we should be doing it. And we have home groups and small groups and, and ways for you to, to have fellowship. But hospitality, hospitality is opening up your home to people that live in an entirely different culture and allowing them to see Jesus in you. See, we think that we live in a town with the same culture with the same ways of looking at things, with the same sort of upbringing, but that's not true. Because as believers, we have been completely and radically transformed, and so we have to make efforts to understand the culture in which we live. And if we don't, what begins to happen is we begin to be this inbred, sort of selfish, myopic group of people who get together and drink coffee and pat each other on the back and tell themselves how great they are. And it's really sad. And that's what's called church so often. And you guys, as a leadership of Calvary Chapel, we will fight to not allow that to happen. Because we want this place to be about the things Jesus was about. And Jesus was about living amongst the people from which he made huge sacrifices to be a part of. He was the first missionary. You want to talk about trying to understand a different culture, how about going from heaven to earth? Jesus is our study in missions. He's a missionary. And we're missionaries here in our community. We don't need to go across the world. Often, we don't even need to go across the street because there's people in our families who need Jesus. And we need to show him to them. But Paul talks about who we are now. He says, look, you have not so learned Christ. You shouldn't be living this way any longer. You haven't learned this in Jesus. Now listen, he doesn't say, you have not so learned about Christ. He says, you have not so learned Christ. Jesus has not taught you that. Jesus has not done that in your life. See, it's not about him. It's him in you. And I think that many of us, know about Jesus, we know lots of facts and information about Jesus and about the Bible, but we don't know Jesus the way he wants to be known. See, Jesus didn't, again, take on human flesh and be beat and drugged through the city and nailed to a cross so that we can know about him intellectually. That's meaningless. And I remember going through Bible college, just being so impressed with the amount of knowledge that I knew. Just being so impressed with how much I knew about Jesus. And other people were impressed too. But God's not impressed. And Jesus isn't impressed. And I think we, we 
we think that that's the end all. It means nothing. If you can win playing Bible trivia, that's great. But that's not the point. It's not what it's about. It's not about Christ. It is Christ. You have not so learned Christ. Is Jesus living and breathing in your life? Is his life flowing through you? That's what it means to be a Christian. Somewhere along the way, we've begun to define Christianity as mental ascension, as mentally adhering to a group of principles and a philosophy of life. That's not Christianity. Christianity is having your heart captured by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Christianity is taking up your cross and identifying with Jesus who was crucified and tortured. That's Christianity. Christianity is not moral superiority. It's not mental comprehension of a set or group of facts. You can download that on the Internet. You can glean that from any number of books. But only Jesus can capture your heart. And if he hasn't captured your heart, then you need to allow him to. Because you're not living to the full potential that he would have for you. Who we are. We've heard him. We've been taught by him. And we are to put off, verse 22, concerning your former conduct, the old man. That is who we used to be. We're to put that off. You see, the Bible says that we've been called new creations in Christ. And all the old things have passed away. The Bible says that we're dead to sin. But, you guys, it doesn't mean that it's completely gone. We still have this flesh to contend with. We still have this flesh that wants to rear its ugly head and command us around and tell us how to live and what to do. And we have to put him to death. And I always think about those old cartoons, you know, when they're, There'd be the devil on one side and the angel on the other. Remember those? And, and the devil would be like, you got to do this. And the angel would be, no, do that. And, and I always think of that when I think of like the flesh versus the spirit. And, and we have conflicting voices. And we don't need to take medication for that. We, we just need to know who we're listening to. We need to know and be able to discern the voices. And we filter everything through the word of God. So it's not like... You know, rocket science, like, was that from the Lord? I don't know, you know. We know what, what it is. We just have to obey the right voice. And we have to put to death the old man on a daily basis. It's a choice. Put off the old man concerning your former conduct, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. See, the old man grows, and when you empower the old man, he will grow more dominant in your life. What are you feeding? Are you feeding your flesh, or are you feeding your spirit? And see, automatically, we think about the moral superiority thing again. We think about, well, I'm, I'm feeding my spirit because, you know, I don't do these certain things. And again, we think, okay, I'm, I'm better than them, I'm, I'm where I should be. And that's not, again, what it's about. We automatically go to, well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't even own a TV. And we think that makes us better. That doesn't make us anything. Except somebody that doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and doesn't own a TV. It doesn't mean squat. It means absolutely nothing. What it means, and what this means, when he talks about putting off the old man and not allowing him to, to be more powerful in your life, is it means you're feeding the new man. See, it's not passivity. It's not the negative end of things like, I don't do this, and so that means I'm, I'm where I should be. No. You can do all of those things and be just as spiritually immature. You need to be feeding the new man. That's what he's talking about. Feeding the new man. Developing the new man. As he says... In verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we put off the old, which is a choice. But I truly believe that we put off the old by developing and cultivating the new. It's not so much by what we don't do, although I'm not saying that there aren't things we shouldn't be doing. But I'm saying it's more about what we do do following me? Because I'm not sure if I am. 
You, you, it's like, who's on first? You get what I'm talking about, though. We need to be feeding the new man. And as we're doing that, and as we're cultivating that, that new life, and we're in the Word, and I believe that is the most important thing, and as we're in the Word daily, and hearing from God consistently, it's an amazing thing that takes place as your old man begins to have less and less power upon your life. And see, we tend to think, well, I've just got to become like a monk. And if I could get out on an island and I didn't have any of the worldly influences, then then I could really put off the old man. Guess what? He follows you like a nightmare. And he's there on that island. And all of a sudden, all of the same problems that you had followed you there. And see, people, they think, man, I, I just got to get out of Southern California. I got to get out of the hellhole that is Southern California. And I'm going to get up here to Prineville. And I mean, it's like Mayberry. It's perfect. <laughs> Nobody sins there. And they get here and they realize, guess what? There's sinners here, too. And I'm one of them. And so it has nothing to do with getting away from the negative influences. It has everything to do with cultivating and developing your new man. And you begin to have a different appetite. I'm a junk food junkie. I eat way too much junk food. And you, you kind of get to a point, like, you know, especially like when you're on a long trip and if, you, if you're kind of a junk food junkie, then you're just eating all this garbage, you know, and fast food and and, you know, whatever. And you get to a point where it's like, man, I need some real food. And the more that you eat real food and vegetables and drink water, the more that you develop an appetite for those things. And it's like all of a sudden that garbage just isn't as alluring because your body isn't craving the sugar because it's like you're detoxing your body of those things. And the same is true spiritually, that as you're feeding your new man the good stuff, that all of a sudden you lose the appetite for the old stuff. And it's not that you threw your TV out in the street and ran it over 16 times. I'm getting rid of the TV. That's the problem. No, the TV's still there, and you can still watch all those garbage shows, but you just choose not to because you've got better things to do. That's, that's the key. Now, I'm not saying don't use wisdom. I'm not saying that, that we should just immerse ourselves into the debauchery of the world. I, I'm saying that when we feed our new man, man, the old stuff just isn't as alluring at all. And it's not because somebody told me don't do it. It's not because I had to sign a piece of paper that said to be a member of this church, I won't watch R-rated movies, I won't drink a beer, I won't do this, I won't do that. Stupidity. It's absolute and utter stupidity. It's all it is. Because that is Pharisaicalism. That's what the Pharisees did. They adhered to a list of rules. Jesus came along and said, look, I want to have a relationship with you. And a relationship is completely different than a list of rules. You can't have a relationship with a list of rules. Let's finish up with verses 25 through 32, how we respond to all of this. The application. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So Paul says, okay, this is what you were. This is who you are. Now you need to begin to identify with who you are rather than what you were. And here's how you can do that. Here's how you can do that. Here's some principles. Here's some practical things. First, don't lie. Okay. Don't lie to each other anymore. Don't say things that aren't true. Don't lie to cover yourself at work. Don't say you were there when you weren't there. Don't say you were on time when you weren't on time. We need to be honest. Now, I think most of us aren't like pathological liars. We're not going around just talking about things that aren't true. Sometimes we sort of, you know, use different words like, well, I'm an exaggerator. Or I like to use hyperbole, right? But I think one of the ways that as Christians, in our little subculture sometimes, one of the ways that we can be liars is, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. 
Meanwhile, we're, our marriage is thrashed. Our kids are wild. We're, we're about to go bankrupt. Bills are piling up. The house just burnt down. The four-year-old that was supposed to be potty trained is pooping their pants again. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever it is. And, and we're lying to each other. And we're saying, oh, I'm just great. I, I'm, I'm good. And, and that's really kind of the answer that we want because we don't want them to say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing terrible, you know, and just start dumping out on us, you know. But in reality, that is what we should want. We should want to truly hear how they're doing or we shouldn't ask. And when we are asked, we shouldn't lie about it. We shouldn't say, oh, I'm doing fine when we're not doing fine. We should ask for prayer. You don't have to get into all the gory details like some weirdo, but you can just simply say, look, I'm not going to, you know, just dump like all this stuff out on you. But but, man, I'm going through some difficulties and, and my marriage is, is struggling or or I'm not doing well financially or my kids aren't doing that great or, or whatever. And, and the person then says, man, let me pray for you. They don't necessarily give you a lot of advice. They don't tell you, well, this is what I did, and you know, unless you're being asked for it. Advice given without being asked is is typically a waste of time. You just pray. Say, let me come alongside you. Let me help you. Is there something I can do? Is there is there a way that that we can come alongside of you? And so, lying, quit lying. Be angry and do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So quickly. He does give an opportunity to be angry and not sin. There is an opportunity to be angry and not sin. See, you're not going to ever come to a place where you're not angry anymore. You're never going to like somebody cussing you out. It's never going to be like, wow, that was that was really cool. <laughs> you're never going to like when somebody comes up alongside of you. Actually, they come up behind you. And they almost touch your bumper, then they whip alongside of you, they flip you off, and then cut you off. That's never going to be cool. You're never going to like that. There's always going to be an element of anger. And you know what I'm talking about. When you're standing there with somebody, whether it be your spouse or your child or a coworker or a family member, and they say something, and right at that moment... There, that anger begins to surge. You following me? You know what I'm talking about, right? It, it starts like right here. just mm. and, and at that moment, you have an opportunity, a very, very small window to either sin or not to sin. That is the choice. To sin or not to sin. I'll tell you how it works out in my life. To sin or not to sin means I better keep my mouth shut. Because this will be the avenue by which I will sin. And I can do it really well. And I, I functioned that way all through school. Ask my teachers. I could sin very well with this little piece of furniture that's affixed to my head. And most of us are good at it, right? Because that anger surges and it just wants to blow right out the mouth. And then, you know, some people, if you're really out of control, then, then you start throwing stuff and you start punching holes in the walls and you start kicking dents in doors and, you, and maybe even get physically violent with other people. And that's absolutely out of control. But that anger is not wrong. It's there. It's, mm, that man, that really just ticks me off. But you have a choice. What are you going to do with it? And for me, I've got to keep my mouth closed. I've got to walk away from whatever that situation is, and I've got to go do something else. That's the choice you have to make. Otherwise, you're probably going to sin. And so the anger is not the issue. You're never going to come to a place where all of that stuff's cool, but how you deal with it. There's another kind of anger that isn't sin that we might call righteous anger. And some of us excuse our anger that isn't good, and we call it righteous anger. Well, that person wronged me, and so I was just defending myself. That's righteous anger. No, that's not righteous anger. That's just anger, and it's sin. It doesn't matter how you were treated. Righteous anger is when you are angry because of how other people are treated. 
See, that was the anger Jesus had. When he walked into the temple and he saw people being abused, he saw people being spiritually mistreated, he saw people abusing their power for financial gain, and it made him hot. And so he began to throw the money changers out of the temple. He began to loose all the animals that were being used as a means to take advantage of other people. Because as they would come in the temple... They would have to bring a sacrifice and they would say, here's my lamb. And it had to be perfect. And they would find the perfect lamb that had no blemishes. But they would say, you know what? That's got a little bit of a blemish right here. You're going to have to buy one of our lambs. And they would sell them their lamb. They would take the other lamb. And then now they would resell the one they just got for free. And that's how they made oodles and oodles of money. And Jesus was not going to have that. And they would also exchange their money and they would rip the people off. You know, when you exchange money into different currency and you never know what you're getting, it's like you give them a $100 bill and you get like two little coins. It's like, huh. <laughs> you know, you don't speak the language. What are you going to say? You know? Or when you go into a store in a foreign country and you hand them and they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, take, we take cash. We take American dollars. And you give them like a 20 and you get just a little bit back and you're buying like a candy bar and a Coke. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second here. I thought things were cheaper. But what are you going to do? That's what they would do. They would just totally rip people off with the currency. And so Jesus just begins to overturn the tables. He begins to run the animals out. He begins to run these thieves out. He says, you'll not make my father's house a den of thieves. Get out of here. But it was all for others. You see, it was others-centered. Most of our anger is totally selfish. In fact, we'll walk right by people that are being mistreated and abused, and it doesn't bother us at all. But if that thing is done to me, now, now I've got to do something about it. Look out for number one. We, we see people at work who are being mistreated, who are being gossiped about or, or spoken down to, or, or maybe not receiving the, the wage that they deserve or the recognition that they deserve. And we just walk right by it and we don't care. But if that happens to me, now I'm angry. Now I'm ticked. See, that's not Jesus. That's human. It's natural. But that's not Jesus and that's not righteous anger. So be angry and do not sin. Nor let the sun go down on your wrath. Great advice, especially for married couples. Hey, if you're mad, deal with it before you go to bed. Because if you don't, you'll wake up the next morning and it's not that big of a deal. At least you don't care about it as much now and you're still kind of upset, but you're not going to deal with it. And you just put a layer on your heart and then you do it again and again and your heart gets calloused and hardened. And pretty soon you're so jaded you don't care. And that's how divorce happens. And God, who's our creator, he knows us. And he said, look, here's something very practical. Don't go to bed if you're ticked. Deal with it. And if you've got to stay up till 1, 2, 3 in the morning, then that's what you do. And you work through it, and you hash it out, and you pray, and then you go to bed. Nor give place to the devil. See, when you don't follow that, and, and when you allow your heart to get hardened, you open the door to the enemy. And the enemy comes in, and the enemy begins to deceive you because your heart's hardened. And the enemy begins to say, you know what? You can do better than this. You don't deserve that. You should try to find somebody else. You give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So, hey, if you're a thief, quit. It's the bottom line. Again, I don't think most of us here are like stealing stuff. I don't think most of us are kleptos. But... But maybe, maybe you're milking the system. Maybe you're fully capable of working, but you're not working. I think that's stealing. Paul would say, look, don't do that anymore. Don't take advantage. Get a job. Work with your hands. And look what he says. That he may have something to give him who has need. Most of the time we think, yeah, I'm going to go work and I'm going to provide for me and my family. But Paul says, that's good. But Jesus would be about what you can give to others. So it's not just about you. It's an amazing thing. Go work so that you might have something to give. 
We don't think about that very often. We need to be others-minded. That's the bottom line. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so don't allow words to come out of your mouth that tear people down. Have the things that come out of your mouth be for building people up. That's what he's saying, that it might impart grace to the hearers. And if you're a person like me who, who's sarcastic and, and who loves to give people a hard time and, and who you know, is always on the precipice of probably sticking your foot in your mouth, if you're like me, you have to be careful. You have to be real careful. And when you say stupid stuff, you have to be willing to apologize. And sometimes I think I apologize more than I do anything else. And that's dangerous in my line of work. And some of you are like, yeah, I know. It's, uh... <laughs> because I just, you know, it's like, here it is, boom, you know. And, and sometimes you end up saying something that you regret. But you know what? Those kind of people are also typically people that are very genuine, and, and you're going to hear their heart. And so you kind of have to, to be able to balance that out. But if you're a person who, who can tend to, you know, say things that, that may not be uh, the greatest, then, then you need to be a person who's willing to apologize. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So don't do things that grieve the heart of God. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Put all those things away from you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So you don't hold on to bitterness. You forgive people. You don't allow your heart to be hard. You're, you're tenderhearted. That's what God wants from us. That's how we respond is these principles here, put, putting them into practice. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, what, a, uh, what an amazing privilege we have to open your word and to hear from you. Lord, I pray this afternoon that whatever was said that was not of you, Lord, that was not what you would have us to hear this morning, that God, those things would, would be put away, that those things would, would not even be part of our remembrance, Lord, but the things that you want, God, the thing that you desire to speak to our hearts, that, God, that would be the thing that is just resonating in our minds, that, Lord, is, is just like a neon sign that we just can't get it out and we're meditating upon it for the rest of this day. Lord, may that truth change our hearts and change our lives. May it draw us closer to you than we've ever been before. Spirit, we ask that you would take the word today and cultivate it in our hearts. And allow it to produce fruit in our lives. And we thank you for your love for us, for your grace when we blow it. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378. Rhineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.